Lord Jesus, we, uh, we come to you. We know it's not, it's not the name. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's what you did. It's what you planned from the beginning when you created us to be your kids, to know you, to walk with you. And you are here in this room right now. And you're beside each of us every single moment of every single day and we forget so easily. God, we want to thank you for being our father, our leader, the one who loves us, who calls us his own, the one who bled on that cross for our forgiveness so we could be right with you and restored to your plans. And God, we count on you. We count on you to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. And even this night, Lord, would you speak to each of us wherever we're at in our faith, our lack of faith, our maturity, our immaturity. Help us to hear what we need from you. And we are so grateful to be here as a church together. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, before you sit down, be friendly to each other, will you? I feel like we, we uh, I feel all screwed up, right? Because we turned it all inside and upside down tonight. You know, the expectations when you walk in here, we didn't do the three songs, we broke the rules, and it feels great to me to break rules once in a while. Because as a pastor, there's so few rules I'm allowed to break anymore. And, uh, but it's so good to be with you guys tonight. We are um, we're in the midst of a teaching series we call Kryptonite. And, uh, it's, it, I mean, you know what kryptonite is, right? If you're at all into, I think if you grew up in this world, it just, it's, you know it's, it's Superman's nemesis, right? It is, it is the one thing. Now look at that face on Superman, right? When I look at that, I think that's the only time I remember all the Superman comics I've read, all the Superman movies I've read, all the ways I think about Superman, all the television shows, it's the only time I look, and it's a look of what? Fear. Fear, and that's what we're talking about tonight. We've been talking about things that can undo us. Um, what are our kryptonites to stop us from being the people that God created us to be, doing the things he wants us to, from embracing that and, and moving forward with it and living, and living our lives in a way that power, is powerful. And fear is, is one of those things. It's one of the kryptonites that we face. Now, the interesting thing was, if you can dive into the superhero world for a moment, is that I don't remember Batman ever being afraid once he got over his fear of bats. Right? I know some of you are like, he was afraid of bats, Doug. I know, but not as Batman. Right? It was only when he was just little tiny Bruce Wayne that he was afraid of those things. I don't remember Spider-Man really being afraid, and part of that's because he's just a teenager, right? And teenagers think they can never get hurt and never die, and so he's got that kind of illusion. I just watched the Wonder Woman movie, not again, but just a couple of weeks ago, and I saw her angry, I saw her determined, I saw her frustrated, but I never saw her afraid. And that entire movie, and what I kind of, overall, and someone's going to come up with an exception, I get it, because I know someone probably put it in, but overall, superheroes seem fearless to me, right? I mean, they face enemies that I could only dream of, right? In fact, 
I don't know all their names, and I don't want to know all their names when I look at that picture. But they fight these, these you know, mastermind criminals who are out to hurt them and kill them, and, and, and they, they do it without, seemingly without any fear at all. And the question I have is, why? Why don't they seem like the rest of us, and why aren't they afraid? And, and the first answer, two-part answer, the first answer is because they're fiction, right? I mean, they're not real. Just to, I just want to make that so clear to you. That this is not real, right? Superheroes, they're fiction. But the, if once you put away your, you know, you, you suspend your disbelief and enter into the narrative of superheroes, the reason they're not afraid is because they have superpowers. And they know they have those superpowers and they lean in to those superpowers. And here's the thing. When you start reading the Bible and you start learning about, what we'll, we'll use the word biblical heroes sometimes, you start reading about biblical heroes, what you find out is they are not superheroes. They are not the ones who go, I'm afraid of nothing, nothing ever touches me because I am a biblical superhero. None of them thought of themselves that way. They all had fears. And so what I want to do just for a few minutes together as we look at this kryptonite of fear is review uh, some different biblical heroes and see and touch the, the fears that they, they felt a little bit. And we're going to start with, uh, and we'll go most in depth with, with Moses. Now, you probably remember Moses, you know, let my people go, lead the people out of Egypt, right? Well, in the beginning, he escaped Egypt after killing an Egyptian. Go read your Bible, you can catch up on the rest of the story. And he's up in this land of Midian, and he's um, married, and he's got kids, and he's been there for 40 years. And then one day he's out there forgetting all about, can you imagine 40 years, all, forgetting all about his past. And he's up in the mountains, and all of a sudden he sees this glowing in the distance, and he, he runs over, and he sees this bush burning without ever being consumed. We call it the burning bush, because we're very creative. And, and it's burning. You can read about this in Exodus 3 and 4, chapters 3 and 4. And so he starts to go closer to it because he's just intrigued. What, what is this? You know, there's no electricity back then. There's no Christmas trees glowing in the middle of the woods or anything. It's just a burning bush. So he goes over, and here's what it says happens. It says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. <laughs> freaking out inside. It doesn't tell you that, but no, no, it had to be. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of your ancestors. I'm the one who started this whole thing, and now I'm talking to you, Moses. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Right? Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. They're slaves. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. They're being treated like less than human. They're just being used and used as if they're, they have no value at all. So I have come down, I'm here right now, I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with with milk and honey, which just is an idiom for it. It's a rich land, a fertile land. It's, it's going to produce the things we need to eat and drink and live. It's a land with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and a lot of otherites now live. It's a land of ites. And he says, look, the cry of the people of Israel, their prayers, their crying, their moaning, their groaning, it's reached me. I hear it all. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now, listen to this next part, because he's speaking straight to Moses. Right? Now, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You're going to be my hero. 
I'm giving you an imperative. I want you to now go. Because I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And you, you, Moses, must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Right? So wouldn't you think, if you had a burning bush, you heard the voice of God and you're Moses, that you would just stand up and go, I'm going. God has spoken to me. I'm in. When God says go do something, I go do it. But that's not what happened with Moses. Moses had left Egypt because he was afraid after he had killed an Egyptian. He was a wanted man. He was thinking they were going to kill him, so he ran away, right? So Moses says, here's what the Bible says, but Moses protested to God. Do you ever protest to God? Right? Do you ever argue with God? It's okay, he's big. He can handle it. He didn't, he, Moses is going to have this conversation. It's the most amazing conversation in Scripture. Moses protested to God. Who am, who am I? Who am I? I'm sure he stuttered. Who am I to appear before the Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you, right? I'm the one who sent you. I don't want you to forget this meeting. We're going to duplicate it down the road a little bit. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God, me, at this very mountain right here. But Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Which really reads strangely to me, right? Because even when I go through, I'm not sure I ever heard them ask, you know, okay, Moses, if it's really, what's God's name? I don't remember that coming up, but, but somehow he's got this in his head that I have to know what to tell them. And, and I'm not going to read this all to you, but God says, tell them that I am the I am. Like, I'm the one who exists. I'm the one who's always existed. I'm the meaning of existence. I am. And then God restates, I'm not going to read it all to you again, the exact same promise that he just told him. You're going to be the one. You're going to lead them out. I've heard their cries. I'm going to bring them to this promised land. And then after that, in chapter 4, Moses says, but Moses protested again. Right? Moses does not want to do this. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? And so he's... God says, you got a staff in your hand, right? Throw it down the ground. He throws it down, and it becomes a snake. And Moses goes, wow, that's cool. Grab it by the tail, lift it up, and it becomes a staff again. And then he says, now take your hand and put it inside your robe. Pull it out. He pulls it out, and it's white as snow with leprosy. Right? Moses going, good trick. It's not over, right? Put it back in, pulls it out, and it's healthy again. Somewhere along the line, don't you think Moses should get the idea this is not going to be a problem? This, this demonstration of personal power and grace to Moses, even having the conversation is graceful to be so patient with Moses. But even after that, it says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I think God goes, well, this conversation is certainly evidence of, of that. right? And, and, and not... And, and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get, get tangled. He's afraid. He's afraid of his moment on stage, isn't he? On stage with the Pharaoh. On stage with his people. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to say the right things. I'm not going to be eloquent enough. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see. Is it not I, 
No, Lord, Moses, what's your theology tell you, Moses? What do you believe about me, Moses? You know, while you worry about your abilities, what do you believe about me? Now go, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses pleaded, please send anyone else. (laughs) But Moses ends up going. It's just like the most remarkable conversation, the most human conversation, right? So here's the question. What do you think Moses' true problem was? And you know the answer because you know the topic tonight. It's fear. I just think he was afraid. And if he would have just said, I am so afraid. And he kind of did say that in so many ways over and over again, but he wasn't owning it. He wasn't just willing to say, hey, God, I am so afraid to do this. I don't have the abilities. I don't know what to say. I don't know when to say it. I'm afraid to go back. If you really want to be honest, I'm afraid to go back to Egypt. I don't want to die. I don't want to get hurt. They're after me. And it's a nice bush effect, but I'm not sure about this. All right? But God says, no, my hand's on you. I'm choosing you. You can bring your brother-in-law, Aaron. That's fine. But you're going. You're the one I chose. Now, that's just one biblical hero. Let me take you to another one. This is one we had a big debate of in my office with the other pastors. You remember David and Goliath, right? And you remember uh, David is killed Goliath and and. He was so brave, right? He, we'll get to it a little later, but he argued his way into being the one to be able to fight Goliath in the first place. And the debate we had was, did, did David feel fear? And I'm not going to tell you who said what, but two of us said no. And when I say us, it doesn't necessarily include me. And one of us, which does include me, said, I think he did. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I just said that because I'm sorry, I have a hard time imagining he wouldn't. And I have a hard time. I'm, and I'm not saying so f- afraid that he didn't do it, because obviously he did. And not so afraid that he didn't trust God, because obviously he did. But I just got to believe that when he got up there, his heart was pounding out of his chest. His blood was flowing and, and adrenaline was flowing. But maybe not. Maybe the Bible doesn't lend that. You know, it kind of makes it sound like another day killing bear, you know, and he goes up and does it. But you know who was afraid? All the guys standing on the side. David's two brothers were there. Right? He had more brothers, but two of them were in the army. The whole army of Israel. I thought, I thought, what separated the army? But let's go specifically to the brothers from David. David's just a teenager. Right? And he's down. His brothers are mad at him because, well, you're just coming down here to see a little blood, aren't you? You know, you're just in for the glory of it kind of thing. Just you go back to your sheep and take care of them. You shouldn't even be here in the first place. You're just a kid, right? But, but I thought about those brothers and all those soldiers. You know, they were all raised with the same theology. David's brothers went to church with him or synagogue with him or whatever religious experience that they all had it together. They took care, I'm sure they took their turn at taking care of the sheep when they were younger. And yet David comes and says, God is with me. I will fight that guy who's blaspheming God because that's what Goliath was doing every day. David was so enraged with how he was blaspheming and making fun of the God of Israel that he was ready. I mean, I think that's what powered him up. I'm so angry and and I can trust God for this and I will fight him. And we'll come back to that story in just a few minutes. But, But his brothers and all the Israelites all had the same access to the same information, yet none of them had the courage to step into it. That's what separated 
them. And then I fast forward to other biblical heroes in my world. I'm just so impressed with all the disciples. I love the disciples because they're such a mess, and I relate to that, and, and, it, and it helps me go, I can follow Jesus too. But one day they're out in the boat together. You remember this? It's in Mark chapter 4. You can read it again if you don't know the story. They're out in the boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and the waves come up, and they get really big. I like this picture because I think it is the Sea of Galilee that we're looking at. And the waves are coming up and going over the boat. And I've been in enough boats and enough waves to know how, how small you can feel, how insecure you can feel, how out of control. This is where fear kicks in. When, you feel out of, when I feel out of control, that's when I start to get really af- afraid. right? And, and so they're afraid, and Jesus is in the back of the boat. And they go and they wake him up. And what does Jesus say? He goes, oh, oh, ye of little faith. Or maybe I would translate it, where's your faith? Why are you guys so freaking out? Right? I don't, I don't understand that. And what it was is the kryptonite of fear, the kryptonite of fear stopped them from being the disciples for a minute and made them into fearful men on that boat. And I relate to that. There are times when I'm embracing God and following God and there's times where where I struggle, and, and, and fear gets in the way. Because you know, here's the thing about fear. Fear has the power to take away our strength, doesn't it? It has the power to, to turn Moses into an arguing fool. It has his brothers standing on the sidelines instead of stepping up. It has the disciples waking Jesus up because they're afraid the whole thing's going to go down. Roll for your lives. We're going to die. And, and all of their personal power and comfort and security and their trust in God seems to to melt away. I mean, I think this is the reason why Peter denied Christ three times, right? Jesus just died on the cross. He's already seen Jesus calm the waves. He's already been with Jesus when he fed 5,000. He already has even heard God's plan, but he can't put it into his mind and his heart and accept it. And so after Jesus is is hauled away and is going to be executed the next day on the cross, that night he's so fearful he denies even knowing Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't want to be next. Because he's a He's afraid. Fear has this power, right? It's the classic deer in the headlights. And, and believe me, I live on Venison Lane. <laughs> and, and when I drive home and those deer are in the way and they just stand stock still, I mean, my joke is I, we have a lot of deer in need of counseling because they're all suicidal. They all want to jump into the, they're depressed. They want to walk in and, and you can hit them and, and here's the thing I'm, I'm just coming to come clean with you. I'm no biblical hero. I'm no superhero. But the deer is me. The deer is me when things come. And it's not every day. It's more like the events of my life. There's times where I go, I am that, that deer. You know, and I've told some, if you've been around, you kind of know that I had a fear of rejection, right? I, I met Lori when I was 18, 19 years old took me three years to ask her, not really, it took, it took four months of, of stalking and flirting and, <laughs> and, and chasing her and conversations, and she told me that after the first month, she gave up. She goes, nice guy, but he's never going to ask me out. He doesn't have the courage, and I'm like, what's wrong with your mouth? You could have started this thing. Anyway, <laughs> you know why it took so long? It's because I didn't want to hear no. What took so long is I didn't want the pain of rejection. So I had to suck it up buttercup eventually and, and ask her out on a, on a date. And miracle of miracles, she said yes. And, and from then on, we, we've been fighting ever since. No, we're doing fine. <laughs> we've been working on a relationship and growing ever, ever since. But why did it take so long? It's because I was afraid. And that's, that's all there was to it. Now, 
Now, I always think about fear of failure. That's another one that I've had in my life. And I remember exactly where I was down in, in we were in the Dominican Republic. Some of you know that chapter. And I was um, 24, 25 years old. And I said to Lori, I said, you know, I think God wants us to go, me specifically, to go in, into ministry kind of thing, this pastoral thing. I don't like that because we're all in ministry. I just happened to get paid for it, and thank you. And, uh, but, but so I started looking for which seminary to go to because I knew that was going to be a part of the deal. And um, I applied for seminary, went to Bethel up in the Twin Cities, and all the time before getting there, my fear, of anxiety, my fear and anxiety was increasing. You know what my, my fear I was afraid I wasn't smart enough. I was afraid that I didn't have what it would take to get through graduate school, right? And it was this lofty thing. It was a, it was a closed room. I didn't know what was involved. I didn't know how hard it was going to be. But when I got in my first class and I looked around the room, I felt a lot better. So if these guys can do it, you know, so my competitive juices started to flow. But I was sincerely, I, and I, there was a part of me that didn't want to go because I didn't want to fail. And then I would have to admit that I'm not as smart as I'd like to be, right? And, and I keep on admitting that like every week here. So that's the fear of, of, of failure. If I wouldn't have gotten the courage up to ask Lori out, I'd have a different life. If I didn't get the courage up to, to go to seminary, and risk failure, and there's risk, we wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be doing this right now. And the last fear is one that we always think of when we really think about fear, and that's the fear of death or harm coming to either ourselves or to a, a loved one. And I'm not going to go through the whole litany of it, but, but if you've been around, and although if you're new, you just have to catch on. My, my daughter was born in a very, very fragile situation, spent 40 days in the hospital, then months later got deathly ill. The air lifted her up to the Twin Cities, and we, I remember that night, we drove up and got there, and she's in this classroom with physicians and nurses all around her, 17 people around this little child. And I turned to Lori, and I said, because it looked, it looked like this was it, right? I mean, it was not, an, you could feel the tension with the doctors and the medical team. And I just looked to Lori, and, and, and I said, I don't know anything. I have nothing. I said, all I know is that we're right here with God. That's it. I'm, and I'm scared to death. But I know we're right here. I just pointed to my hand, right? And, and there was a deer in the headlights kind of fear moment. I didn't know how to move forward or backwards. Or I didn't even know how to pray at that moment, right? Now, here's what I want you to know. The fear we're talking about tonight is different than irrational phobias or anxiety disorders, Okay, we're, we're talking about real fear of things that are mostly real, right? I mean, anytime you're afraid, of, we kind of exaggerate it. But what I'm not talking about is fear of snakes, spiders, heights, statues. But I, I have a relative who's afraid of statues, and um, I don't get it. Uh, fix it until we saw a statue down in Florida actually move. That freaked me out. Anyway, because <laughs> it was a person dressed up like a statue. Anyway, yeah. So fixations, stepping on cracks. I've met people who are actually, you won't break your mother's back, but they have that in their head. Um, irrational fear, right? Last night I, I, I took pictures of my house and I posted this picture of a spider, right? And, and so just don't freak out about that. That's the spider we looked at. I'm going, what is that? That is so cool, right? And then I, make, I gave perspective. Not a very big spider. 
But some of you wrote back to me about that spider saying, oh, ick, oh, scary, get it out of your house, it's going to have thousands of babies. And No, it won't, it's going to die. And Because uh, winter's coming, right? But that would be irrational. And, and you know what you do if you have those kinds of irrational anxiety disorders? You go see a professional, and they'll work with you at desensitization. You know, they make you hold a spider or something, I don't know. And then they'll work on cognitive therapy, like, that little bug can't hurt you, come on, you've got to think this through. It's not a poisonous bug. You know, you don't see an hourglass on its back. Um, and, or if you just got a lot of anxiety, they'll give you a medication, which I'm telling you, for some of us that just have general anxiety, it's like a miracle. And it works. And it's not, it's not a sign of weakness to get, to get the help because it's not a theological problem. It's, not a, it's just irrational and it's just phobic stuff and we can get help with that. But I'm talking about tonight, though, is fear. And God's solution to fear, especially to fear that he goes, I want you to go do this. I want you to be my superhero for a little bit. I have something for you to do and be with me. And I'm going to tell you, God's solution to fear is actually to think differently than we normally think. It's, it's up here. You know, it's, it's Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by learning to think differently, by, by getting your theology and your worldview straight about certain things. And that's exactly what he did with Moses. Remember, Moses says, I'm, I'm afraid. Well, let me just take you back again. He gives him the imperative, now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people to Egypt. And Moses protested to God, who am I? Well, I know who I am. I'm a deer in the headlights. That's who I am. You know, to appear before Pharaoh, who am I to lead people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, do you remember his answer? I will be with you. That's what he said first. He went on to some other in, in other things, but I will be with you. And that's really all he should have said. Maybe not should have, but needed to say. That's the heart of the whole thing. Later on, Moses dies, and Joshua is the next leader. And, and he's just about to lead the Israelites into the land of the other ites, all those ites. And there's going to be fighting and wars and conquests, and I can't imagine being Joshua. And, and God comes to Joshua, and he gives him this message. In, in Joshua 1, verse 9, it says, This is my command, God to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Right? You go anywhere you want, God's with you. You go anywhere you want, God's with you. My problem is I forget that. And he's saying, don't ever forget this, Joshua. You're going to be in the thick of the battle. You're going to feel the rush of adrenaline and blood flowing and all the things going on around you. You're going to look and you're going to go, we have no chance. And I want you to remember, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous because I'm with you. And then I think about, about David, right? So David, back to David and Goliath, right? So before David was given permission, he had to go to King Saul and ask permission to be the one to go represent Israel and to, and to fight this giant. Right? And Saul's like, you're just a kid. You can't do this. I can't let, I cannot in good conscience let you do this. There's no way that you can do this. And then it goes on and it says, but David persisted. He's talking to Saul. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. Well, good for you. Right? When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. Can you imagine? You know, taking a... Food. I don't even like take food from a poodle, right? 
If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Right? So here's this little this teenager. I'm sure he was actually pretty well built. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, this guy who's out there mocking the Lord that we serve and love, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now when you read that, you just go, man, this kid's got so much testosterone. He's on steroids. He's pumped up. He's ready to go to battle. He thinks he's going to rely on his superpowers, right? But listen to the next line, because this is still David talking. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. His faith isn't in him. His faith is in the Lord. He looks at those past experiences. Yeah, I went and I did those things, but, but God's the one who brought me through it. God's the one who, who, who did that. So you got Moses, the Lord will be with you. you got Joshua, be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. You've got David, and his strength comes from knowing that God is with him. right? And you got disciples scared to death in a boat. Why? Because they forgot who was in their boat. They forgot who was with them at that, at that moment. I mean, it would have been a totally different story. Um, Jesus, Jesus, we know, we're not worried or anything, but you really going to sleep through this? You know, because it's, it's a little bit exciting. Can you do something for us? They didn't do that. They just, ah, we're going to die. You're going to die. We're going to die. Don't you even care? Let me take you to Psalm 23, because this will ring a bell for you. This is what David wrote. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, most of us memorized it, the valley of the shadow of death. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, the va- even death valley, I will not be afraid why? Because I know, I know, and I know, and I know, and I know that you are right beside me. You are close beside me. I will be brave. I will be strong. I will be courageous. I will overcome my fears. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be afraid, but I will overcome them because I know you are with me. You know what the difference is between superheroes and us? Superheroes trust in their powers. And we trust in God's. This is where God wants to bring you with your fears, my fears. He goes, I don't want you to trust in yourself, your speaking ability, your playing ability, you, you, whatever you're involved in and what God has called you to. I'm not looking for you to, to go through life totally unafraid. I'm looking to go through life with you and let you lean into me and gain your strength through me. Trust me. Let me give you one more passage. Psalm 56, written by David. I'm just going to give you one verse of it. You can go read the rest of it later. But it's what, here's what he wrote. But when I am afraid. Right? By the way, this is evidence on, you know that argument between the pastors? This is David writing. When I am afraid. I don't want to say who's right about this argument out loud. But, <clears throat> but when I'm afraid, when I, David, am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I will remember that you are with me. I will remember that you never leave me. From our perspective, I remember, Jesus, that you loved me so much that you died on the cross for me. I remember that you promised that you'll never leave us, never forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth, nor punishment, nor anger, nor the hell, powers of hell, nor the powers even of the angels. Nothing 
in all the world will ever separate your love from me. If you want to hear that actually said right, go read Romans 8, okay? He loves us. If you're here tonight and you've been keeping a distance between you and God, the only thing I want you to know is God loves you. He has not abandoned you. He's right beside you. You just have to acknowledge it. He will always be with you. He wants you to lean into him. You do not have to face, and there will be many more fears that come my way and your way than ever alone again. He wants you to learn to think when those hard times come, those fearful moments. This is retraining the brain. God, you're with me. What's at stake? What's at stake is the ability to move, to live, to do the next thing that you're called to do, not to be the deer in the headlight. So let me tell you what I, what I try to do. It's going to sound a little bit, maybe I've given away a little bit of this, but here's what I try to do for my brave, courageous life. I'm not always perfect at it, but here's what I do. Number one, I try to normalize that God is with me. What does that mean? It means I want it to be normal for me to be aware that God is with me. I don't want to live from Sunday to Sunday getting church injections of God's presence. I don't want to live with the idea that God is in this room. He's, he is in this room. He's also in that room and that room and that room and everywhere. No matter where you go, I'll always be with you. I can't outpace him. I can't outrun him. He's always with me. I'm not always aware of it. So I want that to become normal for me to be aware of it. In order to do that, I want to learn to remember God at weird times. This sounds strange. I know. I, you know no one else says stuff like this. Just Doug. Right? But, but when... When I wake up in the middle of the night, I want one of my first thoughts to be is, God, you're right beside me. When I get up in the morning, I want one of the, when I'm in the shower, I want that to be a, a moment where I'm aware that God is with me. When I'm driving down the road, I want it to be a moment where God is with me. When I, when I get bad news on the phone, I want to remember God is with me. When I'm sick in bed, I want to remember God is with me. I want to learn to live where that's normal. And to get normal, I'm going to have to focus on some of the weird times. Right. You wonder why I thank God for the food besides being grateful at mealtimes? I don't always do it out loud. It's because I just want to remember he's right there. I want to remember he... I don't think God is needy. I don't think he's going, oh, I hope he says thank you. You know, I hope... They get a, he goes, I hope he remembers I'm right here. I hope he knows how much I love him. I hope he knows that I'm right beside him right now. For me, that means I have to start working on the odd times when I tend to most likely to forget God's existence, God's with me. I need to focus on those. The third one is this, and then when I'm afraid, which is a weird time to remember God because I'm focused on fear, I want to be able to remind myself of theological truth of what I believe that God is with me. And I'm telling you, it's a muscle. It's not just a, oh, I'll just remember it when the time comes. It's a muscle. Exercise it. Learn to live in it. Learn to live in the presence of, of God. Because if God is with me, once I know that, once I believe it, if God is with me, I can trust him. If I don't believe he's with me, I can't trust him. Right? I can turn to him and go, I trust you. You're with me. I don't have to be afraid. I, I might be afraid. I might feel afraid. But I don't have to be afraid. I can lean into him at that point. And then... I won't be the deer. I can move forward. That's what I'm trying to work on. How are you working on it? What's, what's your strategy for that? Because I promise you, it's kind of like Luke Skywalker with Yoda. I'm not afraid of anything. 
you will be, right? <laughs> you will be, and it's, it's, all of us are going to be afraid. So, where are your headlights coming from right now? This is between you and God, not me. What's the source of your headlights? What's the source of, of your fear? I want you to get that, kind of own something, what it is right now, and then we'll, we'll pray together, right? Let's pray. God, one of the most amazing things about you is you know every single thought, every single heart, and every single fear that we carry. And we can talk a good talk. We can fake it. But we'll never fool you. So I ask you to help us to be aware of what, what is going on, what we're afraid of, what could freeze us up from following you, from becoming the people that you made us to be, to do the things that you want us to do, those heroic lives that you called us to. And God, would you help us, if we, if we know what the fear is, would you give us a sense you help us to be aware that you are with us, especially in those fearful places. And God, no matter what we feel, would you help us to move forward with you, trusting you? And yeah, I'd like not to feel afraid, God, but I know sometimes I just follow you even though I have anxiety, but I choose to trust you over fear that. God, we want to become the people you made us to be. We want to live as your children. We want to embrace the gifts and the power that you have for us, and we want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And we can't do that if we're staring down the headlights. Help us, in Christ's name, amen.